Welcome to uh, Bergen Park Church. It's good to see you guys here today. We're glad you gathered with us. Hey, today what we're going to be doing is uh, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 10. So if you want to grab a Bible, you can grab one in front of you. Uh, there's some Bibles around you. If you don't have one, that is a gift from us to you. We're going to be in John 10. And what we've been doing is really looking at this idea of who Jesus is. And we discover who Jesus is in the Gospel of John in two ways. One, through what he does, and John calls them signs, signs of his identity and who he is. But there's also these statements these seven statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am. And today we're going to walk in this idea that Jesus is the good shepherd. And he lays down his life for the sheep. Now let me tell you why that's so important, why it applies to us, and how it helps us when it comes to our own walk with God. You know, Scripture says in Hebrews that um, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now this is counterintuitive, I think, to the way that we... we consider how growth happens, but growth happens in your spiritual life as you gaze upon God, as you gaze on the beauty of the Lord. In Corinthians, it says that we're transfer, uh, transformed from one degree of glory to the another as we set our eyes on who God is, what he's done, and, and what he means to us. And so the more we see God, more we see Jesus, the more we encounter who God is, that changes us. It begins to transform us from the inside out. And so in the Gospel of John, what we're trying to do is to look at these statements and to ask the question, who is Jesus? And today in John 10, he's laying out this very famous, very well-known idea that I am the shepherd. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, let me tell you, if you've been in church for a long time, you're probably going to know where this is going to go, right? Because this is familiar territory. If you're not familiar with the church of this passage, you're, you're probably in a good place. Because often the direction that we go with this in this John chapter 10 is we talk about sheep and how dumb the sheep are. And that's true. Sheep are not bright animals. I don't know a lot about sheep. haven't been hanging out with sheep or have sheep in the backyard or anything like that. But what I understand is sheep are not bright animals. And that does tie into us. But the focus of John 10 is not on us. See, the focus on John chapter 10 is the amazing love of the shepherd for us. And what he does to demonstrate and to uh, allow us to experience that love in our life. Because the truth is, we are, as, as in this context, we are sheep. And sheep are not, as shepherds tell us, very bright. They're not animals that have good defense mechanisms. They're not aware of their surroundings. And it, I'm told that when you set sheep out into a pasture, they'll essentially eat everything in that pasture. And sometimes sheep don't know well enough to move on to a new area. And so instead what they'll do is once they eat all the grass and the vegetation, they'll eat what is ever left behind, if you understand me, from the other sheep. And when you're, when you're in that kind of, it, it's not good for the sheep. They don't know how to pursue a healthy life. And for some of them that do begin to wander, when they start to wander, the rest of them start to follow. And what the shepherd has to do, because he's a good shepherd, is sometimes for some of us, some of us sheep, He's got to break their legs. He's got to break the legs of the sheep because there are some that will begin to wander and because they're such pack and following animals, they'll start following the one that wanders and lead them astray. And so the shepherd will actually, actually break their legs. And then he'll put that sheep, you may have seen this image on, his, on their shoulders, and he will carry the sheep until it is strong enough. And the idea is when that sheep heals, it will not lead the, leave the shepherd's side. Now about you, that seems pretty violent. To me. If I'm driving by I-70 and I guess there's some sheep over here 
and I see a shepherd breaking some sheep legs, that's not loving. That seems harsh and punishing. And yet, from the perspective of that shepherd, there's nothing more loving that that shepherd can do than to keep that sheep close to the shepherd. And sometimes in life, and certainly in our Christian walk, there are times where I find God has to simply break my legs. There are times where God's discipline in my life, and he says in Hebrews that do not despise the Lord's discipline. Sometimes the Lord allows us to walk through things in life. And like a good shepherd, he will allow pain into our life not to harm us or to hurt us, but rather to draw us into himself. And so this is the theme we're walking into and really looking at the amazing love that the Father has and that Jesus has for us as his sheep. So let's jump into that. That's kind of the context, big picture. We're going to jump into John chapter 10 and walk through verses, verses 1 to 21. You guys ready? You with me? Yeah? Are you sure? All right, John chapter 1. We're going to, um, John chapter 10, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. The word of the Lord. And truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his Voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door to the sheep. And all who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. No, I am the door. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He'll go in and out and find pasture. For the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. For I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. See, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares Nothing for the sheep, but I, I'm the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And see, I have other sheep that are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. See, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words, and many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. Hey, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this promise, and it's, it's startling. It's an overwhelming promise to us that you've come, that we might have life and life abundantly. And Father, that you promise that you know us and call us by name, that you know those that belong to you. 
And you even tell us as your sheep, we will hear your voice. And in hearing your voice, Father, we'll follow you. I want to ask in Jesus' name through the Spirit, Lord, that we would hear your voice. No matter where we are, what we're struggling with, what we're dealing with, what drew, drew us in here today, or what concerns we may have for tomorrow. Lord, just in this time that we've set aside, would you, through the power of the Spirit, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear. And Father, would we see you, and in seeing you, would you transform us from one degree of glory to another? Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's a pretty good promise. I don't know if it gets much better than that. I've come that they may have life and have that life abundantly. That's a great promise. Now, here's the challenge. Is that your experience? Was this week abundant life? Was next week going to be abundant life? When we look at the promises of God, and sometimes you, you lay those promises alongside your experiences, there's discontinuity between what God promises and maybe what we experience. That sometimes God promises, makes these huge, massive promises of life, and not just life, but he says an abundant life, a life that is overflowing and free. And then we look at the way that we're living. We look at the challenges that we have. We look at the experiences we go through and we wonder, is this the abundant life? You know, is the relationships I'm in, would I describe that as abundant? My career, is that abundant? My emotional state, my health, my outlook on the future is, are the things that I'm walking through, would I describe them as abundant? And here's the challenge, because see, when there's that discontinuity, often that leads into our behavior. When there's a discontinuity between what God promises, what I'm experiencing, then the challenge becomes is the question comes into our mind, should I obey? Because sometimes obedience can be simple. It can be easy because God's heart and my heart lines up and what God wants and what I want are the same and so obedience isn't difficult. But often there are challenges in life and as you walk through experiences and go through times where his promises and your experiences don't line up, obedience is incredibly difficult. Obedience can feel like death it can feel like your legs are being broken it can feel painful and if we don't know the character of the one that's calling us to obey if we don't know the character of the shepherd we're not going to trust God in those moments where he's saying to us listen to my voice I know what's going on in your life I know what you're walking through but here is the path to abundant life here is the direction I want you to go but because we're not trusting and listening to him in those moments when we disobey, when we walk away from him, when we wander, he's saying there are wolves, there are thieves that do not lead to life. And what I've done is I've come so that you may have life and life abundantly. So what I want to do is talk about what is that abundant life? How do we pursue that? And then what does that life lead to? And then finally, how do we do that on a daily basis? I think that's the challenge. It's one thing to believe. It's one thing to trust and say, you know what? I believe that Jesus is my shepherd. It's an entirely different thing to surrender to him as your shepherd. Because when you think of a sheep and a shepherd, sheep don't have privacy. They don't have aspects and areas of their life where they say, hey, shepherd, hands off. This is mine. This is yours. Don't mess with my life. See, when you have a relationship from sheep to shepherd, that shepherd knows I own this sheep. This sheep belongs to me, which means every aspect of that sheep's life is in the hands of the shepherd. 
See, that's the starting point. Ready for this? For that abundant life. Are we willing to surrender completely to the shepherd? The only way we're going to get there is we have to know the character of that shepherd. And as we know his character, we know what he's done for us, it gives us the ability then to release and to trust him. So let's jump back in in verse 12 and walk through this and get this idea of what is this life that God has promised us. And in verse 12, he makes that promise. And he starts off with this image that he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the danger, he sees the wolf, and he leaves the sheep and flees. And so the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. Now, this passage is actually a condemnation of a form of leadership. All of John chapter 10 is really not about sheep and shepherds in that metaphor. It's really about the kind of leader that God is and the kind of leaders that we need and then how to be aware of those types of leaders that are not in it for our best interests. They're rather they're in it for themselves. Because that's what a hired hand is. A hired hand, he's going to run as soon as trouble comes because I didn't sign up for this. I'm in this for me. And as soon as the situation arises where I've got a risk and I need to be in this for you, it's not worth it any longer. My relationship to you is a cost-benefit analysis. And if you're not doing it for me, I'm out of here. Now, that condemnation of that hired hand actually goes back in verses 1 through 5. And we talked about that last week a little bit. That what Jesus is doing is he's addressing the spiritual, the religious leaders of the day. Because what was happening is many of the religious leaders were casting out people that God loved. There you go. Something fell. I have my own little story going on up here. They were casting out people that God himself was pursuing, that God loved. And because they didn't line up with where they are, they didn't line up with the way they should have looked or the way they should have lived, many of the religious leaders were casting out people that God had called his sheep. And so what happened in John chapter 9, if you just kind of rewind the storyline and go in John chapter 9, Jesus heals this man who had been born blind, who had been blind from birth. And that's why at the end of this passage in verse 21, he talks about blindness. Are you saying we can't see? Who would open the eyes of the blind? And it's a reference to what just happened. And so out of this miracle comes this teaching on Jesus as the shepherd. But see, in John 9, when this man who is blind from birth is healed, and he goes around telling everybody, you have to meet Jesus. This guy, Jesus, I've never seen him, because remember he was blind, then he watched, so he's never actually seen the face of Jesus. But he goes around telling everyone, and the religious leaders say, hey, that's not our guy. Jesus isn't with us. Jesus isn't a part of this. And so though he's been healed, they cast him out. And so in John chapter 9, verse 34... In John 9, 34, these religious leaders are speaking to this man who's just had the best day of his life, and they say to him, you were born in utter sin. How dare you teach us? And he goes on, and they cast him out. See, here is one that hears the voice of the shepherd, responds to him, and those who should have been shepherds, they cast him out. And like a good shepherd... Jesus, he leaves the 99, and what happens in this passage is he goes and he chases that man that was cast out. And watch this in verse 35. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him said, 
do you believe in the Son of Man? And again, he's never seen Jesus. He's probably recognizing the voice. It's getting there. And in verse 36, he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. It's he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he fell down. He worshiped him. Now, when it says he opened his eyes, there's two ideas there. One, there's a physical sight. But you know, before that sight, before he actually saw Jesus, there was a spiritual sight that was awakened. And when he saw the face of Jesus, you know what he saw? He didn't see a hired hand. He didn't see someone who was going to run when danger was present. See, when it came to the moment where the sheep and the wolves were coming together, the shepherd was willing to stand between the wolves and the sheep and to give up his life. And he stands before this man and he says, you are God's sheep. I am your shepherd. And the reason that God has done this in your life is so that you might experience and you might know the love of the shepherd. Jesus chases after those who often feel by the world and by others. And sometimes, if we be honest, by the church, Jesus chases after those who are cast out. See, in verse 14, he goes back to that metaphor. If you look at him in John 10, and he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, what does that mean? It means that I know my own and my own know me. There's an intimacy that I don't understand necessarily. I don't know sheep and shepherds and all that. But there is an intimacy between a shepherd and a sheep. He knows those sheep. He sees them. He actually has names for them. And when they come back into the fold, he examines each sheep before it goes into the fold. He cares for it. That's where we get that idea in Psalm 23. He anoints my head with oil. Because oil was often a medicinal idea. And so if you had scrapes and scratches and bruises, when that sheep came in, he would take all the briars, all the things that are, that are hurting the sheep off of it, and then he would cover it, that hurt sheep, in oil. And he's saying, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. And notice the relationship. It's the same kind of relationship that he has with the Father. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So here's the idea that we're not probably rising to on a daily basis. The relationship we are to have with Jesus is the same level of intimacy that Jesus has with the Father. Listen, that's the door of intimacy and relationship he wants to open up to us. That's the abundant life that he describes. Now, what does that look like? How do we pursue that? Well, part of the question I think we have to ask, and I know in my own heart, soul, my life, I have to ask the question, you know, what's motivating Jesus? You know, what's, what's driving him? Why is he continuing to pursue us? Because I get the idea, and there's some days where I do feel the love of God, but there's often days I don't. I've just got to repeat it. Okay, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him, okay, I know that. I know it, but Lord, I need something more than knowledge right now. I need knowledge to become experience. And I think there's times where for many of us as we go through those valleys, we go through those difficult times where we're learning to obey simply by just sheer will that we have to experience his love. And sometimes in my, my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I'm walking on that edge where he's just kind of putting up with me. And I wonder, what is, what is he in for? Why is he in this game? Why does he not con- give up on us? Why does he continue to pursue us and, and chase after us when we go astray? Because he says in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And then there's this image in Revelation chapter 7 that helps us. Because in Revelation 7, Jesus is pictured as a lamb on the throne. And I want you to listen to this language between lamb and shepherd and how they come together. And it says in John 7, 7 I mean in Revelation 7, 17, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Hear me. The lamb at the center is a shepherd. See, Jesus is the shepherd who has become a lamb. As John said, here's the lamb of God. Now, why has the lamb of God come to take away the sin of the world? That he's not a hired hand. He's not in this for himself. The reason he stands in the gap between the wolf and me is because I belong to him. The sole purpose, the sole reason is because I know my own and my own know me and I lay down my life. The reason he loves us is because we belong to him. See, that's the very nature of sheep and shepherd. The reason that is your shepherd is because you belong to him. The reason you belong to him is you have heard his voice. Really, that's the emphasis of the passage. If I went through this and said there's one idea that he's communicating, it's the idea that what validates Jesus is that we respond. We respond to his voice. The gospel is, as Paul says, the power of God unto salvation. What's the gospel? It's a message. It's good news. It's the good news that through Jesus' life, death, resurrection, I can have a relationship to the Father. I can know the Father. And in the knowing the Father, I can have life, eternal life, abundant life in his name. That's the promise of the gospel. When that gospel goes out, some, the sheep, hear it as from the Father. And they know this is an invitation that God is making to me to draw me into his life. See, the sheep hear his voice, and in hearing his voice, they respond. Why is Jesus in this? He's in this for us because we belong to him. We belong to him. And, and he's, not, he's not hesitant about his love for us. Now, Jesus is passionate in pursuing us. Actually, in the end of this, in John chapter 10, verse 28, we have this amazing picture of the relationship that Jesus sees to us in the Father. And watch this, John 10, 28, and it says, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Now, why is that? Why is it that we'll never perish? Why is it that no one can pull us from our hands? Because my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. You hear what he's saying? You are a gift. You are a gift from the Father to Jesus. What a sorry gift, huh? Uh, that's one I'd return right there. Because we're sheep. See, why does the shepherd have to go between the wolves and the sheep? Why, why often does he have to stand before the sheep and the thieves? Because of what the sheep do. Sheep wander off. Isaiah says we all, like sheep, right, have gone astray. The sheep have gone astray. Each one, we turn to our own way. And what did Jesus do? He said, I'm not a higher hand. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're his gift. Well, what's in it for Jesus? I mean, think about that. What, what's in it for him? 
He lays down his life because he loves us. We see in this image the depths of Christ's love. It's not contingent on what you do. Because he knows what he's getting. He's getting sheep. It's not a surprise. Jesus knows sheep pretty well. He lives in that culture. He knows what he's dealing with. And he's saying, the Father has given them to me. And even though they're sheep, even though they wander away, even though sometimes they're a mess, I lay down my life and no one is going to take them from me. He knows the depth of our condition and yet he holds on to us. That is amazing, amazing grace. That's an image of God, a picture of God, a concept of God that I think if we allowed it to, it would fuel some different kind of lifestyles and worship if we allow that simply to penetrate the heart to believe. Sometimes we need to simply be honest and sometimes in church go, God, I believe, but right now with this, help my unbelief. Help me to see that you are the good shepherd. You know, when Jesus went on the cross, because what are we describing here? When Jesus went on the cross, there were some words that he quoted. Often those words came from the Old Testament, one of them in Psalm 22. And you know, I'd really encourage you today Go back and look at Psalm 22. It's an amazing picture, and it, it fills in this idea of sheep and shepherd. Because see, in Psalm 22, the psalmist is describing this, this scene, this experience, and the psalmist is surrounded by wolves. He's surrounded by dogs, lions, and they're seeking to devour him, just like the wolves are coming at the sheep and the hired hand runs. That's the experience he's describing. And it's in Psalm 22 where Jesus from the Christ, cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me but the picture is there here's these sheep without a shepherd God why have you forsaken me and it's the only time that Jesus instead of using the familial term of father Jesus calls God simply God that on the cross Jesus was God forsaken he was separated from the father why why did he stand in that gap for us because The only idea is that he loves us and we belong to him. We belong to him, which means he wants us to be with him and he lays down his life for that which is his own. This is a a miraculous idea because in many ways, the ones he laid his life down, we weren't his own when he laid his life down. It was the potential of us. And when we think of the enemy, we think of the wolf, the way it's described in this passage, Scripture often calls sin the devourer. Have you seen that kind of language? That sin devours, it steals, it robs. You know, James says uh, when we're tempted, uh, don't be deceived because God doesn't tempt us. No, we're tempted when, ready for this? By our own desire. We're dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, meaning we think about it, we dream about it, we daydream, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it grows up, it gives birth to death. Now, all that description, it's coming out of us, right? God doesn't tempt us. We're tempted when by our desire, we're dragged away, we're sheep. Hey, that looks like good territory. I'm gonna go check that out over here. Shepherd's yelling at us, this is abundant life. No, we got that, God, but I'm gonna head over this way as that sin is conceived, it gives birth to death. And, and, and when it's full grown, it takes control of our lives. And yet Jesus, who knew this, when he, when he ascended on the cross, the idea of the cross is that Jesus' perfect obedience is exchanged for my imperfect obedience, my rebellion. Because when we talk about sin and the devouring of sin, you know, God says to Cain, hey, be careful, Cain. 
there's some bitterness inside of you and it's not simply gonna trip you up. You know the words he uses? He says to Cain, its desire is to devour you. It's going to control you. But listen to my voice. Hear my words and realize that I am good and I lay down my life for the sheep. When you see the goodness of the shepherd when you're in those moments of tension, where the abundant life God promises isn't matching up to the experience I'm having, it enables us to trust him. And in that trust to listen to his voice, to hear him calling. Because again, let's jump down to verse 10 and, and notice the language. I think we need to flesh this out. The thief has come to kill, to steal, to kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That Jesus stands between us and the wolf. And he takes the power of the wolf, the power of the thief away. You know what that power often is? You know, Satan was called the deceiver, the accuser. The power is often the lie. Because here's the story. If we know this story, and we know that Jesus laid down his life not for what we've done, not because we can add anything. He's not a hired hand. He's not getting paid. He laid his life down because we belong to him. That's the context of our relationship with God. But when we fail God, often the last thing we do is run to God. We're running away from God. Or we look at our circumstances and we see the suffering, we see the hardship, we see the difficulty, and instead of trusting God's voice and his words, we trust what we see. And we give our heart, our mind, our emotion, our will over to the lie. Hey, because this has happened, God can't love me. Because I'm walking through this, God isn't pursuing me. And God is going to give up on me. And what does Jesus do? He stands between us and the lie. You actually see this, it's beautiful, all throughout scripture. It says that he is our advocate. You know what an advocate does? An, an advocate stands between you and the judge. An advocate says, hey, listen, this is, what he, this is who he is, this is what he deserves. He stands between us and the accuser. He stands between us and the judge. And he says, this one deserves my love because this one is my own and I laid down my life for the sheep. And yet how often in that, met, that's the metaphor, that's the picture of our, our walk with God and yet like sheep, we go astray. And it's not like we go astray once, right? I, if this is your story, it kind of fits in mine maybe. You know, I mess up on a Monday, I repent on a Monday night and by Tuesday afternoon, it's like, it's back. And I'm walking in a path and in a direction that I know what it leads to. You don't have to tell me what it leads to. I experience the consequences of what it leads to. And yet you find yourself in that place where your circumstances, the lies of life, the desires of the heart are more penetrable than the words of God and his relationship to us. And we continue to wander. We continue to wander. And what does he do? It says he constantly speaks to us. But here's the challenge. Are we listening? Are we listening? And certainly are we listening when his promises don't line up with our experience? Because that's the danger zone. That's what he's describing. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, we see the results of what Christ has done. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? See, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, he stands in the gap for us. And through faith in Christ, we have a relationship with the Father that is like a sheep to the shepherd. 
But see, that relationship, once it comes into our life, it's not just for us. Here's the beauty of this concept. What Jesus has done for us, he always wants to do through us. And those that he stands in the gap between the wolf and the lamb, therefore, we as the church, you ready for this? We are to stand in the gap for those that want nothing to do with God. What? That can't be right, but they disagree with us. They don't like us. They call us names. It's kind of like Jesus, isn't it? We didn't like him. We cursed him. You know, Jesus didn't die for his friends. He died, the scripture says, for his enemies. While we were yet sinners, while I was cursing him, while I wanted nothing to do, what woke us up? It was the grace. The undeserved merit of Christ dying for me while I was in rebellion against him. And in that moment of grace, there's this depth of love that overwhelms our heart. You know, when we experience that, he sends us out then to do through us what he's done to us. Are you, are you ready for that? You know, we just talked a, a few weeks ago about the Lord's Prayer, that we're supposed to pray for those who persecute us, love those who hate us. You know why? Because that's what, that's what a good shepherd looks like. And so he says in John 10, 16, and I have other sheep, and they're not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, for there will be one flock and one ship. This is good news because he's talking about us. Jesus in John 10 is, is talking to ethnic Jews, and he is the Messiah to the Jews, but he's also those who have come to rescue the very people that in this age, that age where Jesus showed up, the Jews hated. You know what they wanted? They wanted Jesus to show up and knock out their enemies. You know what Jesus wanted to do? He wanted to die for their enemies, to die for the Romans, to stand in the gap for them, and that took love to a whole new level. And why has God placed this here at Bergen Park Church? So that we can reveal the heart of God to a community that is filled with lies. That's what Sunday is supposed to be about, right? Waking up. Seeing him face to face. Jesus says, when I'm raised up, all men will follow, all people will follow me, but they have to see me. They're not gonna see him unless they see him through us. But you're not gonna show him unless you're satisfied with the shepherd. And I don't blame a lot of non-Christians because they come to the church and they say, but you're not even satisfied with your Jesus. Why would I wanna be satisfied in something that's not satisfying to you? And the purpose of this metaphor of really walking through this time as we head to Easter is to really say, have I, have I looked at him and seen him as the shepherd? Has that captivated my soul to the point that I want to stand out in the place where Christ did, not to be Christ, but to point to Christ? You know, one of the reasons that really compelled us as my wife and I prayed when we were in the search process, seems like a, a while ago now, but... Considering leaving a church we loved, a community we loved, we had grandparents, we had cousins, everybody lived within five miles of us and God wanted to take us to Colorado. Now when I got here, I said, I get it, God, I get it, it's pretty. <laughs> then I saw the house prices, I said, that's not pretty. <laughs> and I've never lived in the mountains, I don't know, I, I've lived in Boston, I've lived in Texas, but not in Colorado. And then I found this, this news. This, I was doing some research and just praying and I asked the search team, I said, I need 30 days. Can you just not talk to me for 30 days? I just need to pray. And every day I'd get up and I would write a question and say, God, are you calling me 
to Evergreen. It's funny, when you ask God a question, a specific question, he often deals with things you don't want to deal with. He's like, yeah, let me talk about your marriage. I'm like, God, that's not, that's not the question. I want you to answer my question, but he's often, because de- he loves us. But in that process, I was doing some research and praying about this community, and I found out that Clear Creek County is one of the top 10. This is not a good stat. Most unreached counties in the United States. In the United States, I don't know how many counties there are in the United States, but Clear Creek County, that's, that's, that's us. Some of us are from Clear Creek County. We live in Clear Creek County. Which means the people, for the most part, I would assume of Clear Creek County do not see God as the good shepherd. And in many ways, that's because of the fault of his, his sheep. And, and not the fault to the extent that we sit in that and we... We beat ourselves up, but we, we recognize, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. I need to see you as the good shepherd. I need to walk in that. Because that's the only way we as a community can love others to the degree that Christ loved us. But here's the last idea. One, we see this idea of abundant life. We can taste it. We recognize that that life pushes us out. But the final thing, and it's the main idea of this entire passage, is we've got to listen to his voice. We've got to listen to his voice. You see it as we conclude and just in verse three through five, he says to the sheep, to him, the gatekeeper opens, meaning the shepherd, and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own by name and he leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. And why? Why do we follow him? Because we know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of the strangers. One of the signs that Jesus is the Messiah is that people followed him. And one of the signs that we are his sheep is that we hear his voice and there's a desire in us to follow. But there's a progression here. There's a progression you've got to hear. It starts with hearing. And in hearing, we know. And in knowing him, and better yet, in realizing that he knows us, we follow. You know, I love this phrase. It's kind of a throwaway phrase in, in the book of Galatians. I think it's in chapter four, but Paul's talking about how we know God, but he says, better yet, God knows us. And when I see that sometimes, I have to pause. I say, God, it's one thing for me to know you, but you know us. You know our weaknesses. You know our limitations, our left and our right parameters, and yet you do not give up on us. And he's saying, as we're wandering off, he continues to speak to us. Now, here's the challenge. We don't listen. I, okay, it's my problem. It's not yours, right? I'm not going to accuse you. I don't listen. I don't listen. And in not listening, I take my life in directions and run into things that cause a lot more damage in the lives of the people I love. We're listening to his voice. That's it. You know, that's the beauty of the Christian life. You know where it starts? The humility. I need to listen. And let me give you just a paradigm for that. There's a story in the Old Testament, and it's a story between Eli and Samuel. And Eli was this high priest, and Samuel was like the next guy in line. And Samuel was praying, and he was, he was trying to hear from the voice of God, and he kept hearing somebody say, Samuel. And he would walk out, and he'd say, yeah. And Eli would say, I didn't call you. He'd say, Okay. That's a little odd. He'd go back, go back in his room and say, call out to God and he'd hear his name, Samuel. 
And you go back out and Eli's sitting there. He's like, what? Samuel, I'm not calling you. It's not my voice that you hear. Next time you hear someone calling your name, say, yes, Lord, your servant listens. Samuel went in and he heard his voice, heard his name, and he said, yes, yes, Lord, your servant listens. You know what that's called? It's prayer. Father, hallowed be thy name. Your servant is listening. Now, here's the challenge, okay? You've been listening to so much, it takes a while for the static to fade and for God's voice to become clear. And most of us don't push past the static. It's not that he won't speak, but you've got to sit and listen. What does the scripture say? Be still and know that I am God. You know how Jesus got there when he was surrounded by wolves? When he was surrounded by wolves, scripture came out. He allowed the word of God not just simply to be an idea and a concept. It was something he ruminated. He meditated until he heard the voice of the Father. And church, for us, you know, the only thing that's going to get you there is you've got to see the intensity of love of your shepherd. You've got to see the intensity with which he loved you, called you his own, and laid down his life for you. It's the only thing that will cause you to sit there and push through the static. Because when we do and hear his voice, he says that's what enables us to follow him. It's not willpower. Willpower will get you to the end of the week, but it won't take you the whole way. We as his sheep have to learn to hear his voice and in seeing his voice and in hearing voice. And listen, sometimes you need to be that voice for each other. Can I just speak that? Because sometimes my ears are just too stopped. There's so much junk in there. There's so much of the pain of life. I can't hear it. And that's where the grace of God in the body of Christ, we can't do it alone. We have to come alongside each other and speak the truth in love. What does love look like? It's one who stands between the wolf and the sheep. And church, we need to do that for each other so that this community, when they walk in here, they say, hey, I don't agree with you, but I have a hard time disagreeing with the love and with the God that you worship. I see something here. There is something powerful. Let's allow this week for this idea, this good shepherd, to be something we hold on to and see in him what we need to open our ears to hear his voice. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that, um, Lord, you, you remind us, Scripture is filled with this theme. It's not once, it's not like a lesson that you're teaching us. You didn't give us a watertight argument. You gave us a watertight person. Father, your love, you describe it as how deep and wide and long and high is the love of Christ that we may know this love. And you've told us it surpasses our understanding. Forgive us that we only want a love that goes to the edge of our understanding. We don't want to admit, Lord, that so often in our unbelief, Father, we cast you out not as the good shepherd. We see you more as the enemy sometimes, the wolf. Forgive us, Father, that we have called that which is good evil at times. We've run from you. And Father, in running from you, you tell us we're only running from life. I wanna ask, Father, in Jesus' name, if we're in that place, in that place where the thief or the wolf is just simply the deceit of the world, the lust of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, I wanna ask, Father, in Jesus' name, in the light of his majesty and grace, that the weight of those lies would fade. Because you are our advocate defending us day and night against the accusations of the evil when you don't give up because we belong to you. And so, Father, for those that may have never received you, never 
even heard of the concept of the depths of your love, I'm gonna ask, Father, that they would cry out to you and say, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. I know I have wandered and you have taken on yourself my penalty. Lord, would you confirm in their heart as they call out to you that they belong to you and they're hearing your voice. And Lord, for some of us, we're just in the valley of the shadow of death. Would you enable us in this moment where abundant life isn't what we experience? Would your still small voice, would your spirit remind us you are with us and nothing, nothing, nothing will take us out of your hand. Father, help us to see you and in seeing you, would you open us, open us up to hear you and to trust you in Jesus' name, amen.